Many individuals try to find success on a daily basis. But what defines this success? Where does it come from? When you find a passion in your life and pursue this passion, everything can come together to form success. This is Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. Our guests will motivate you to take the next step to your success. Now, here's your host, David Wallach. (laughs) Good morning, y'all, and welcome to our weekly episode of Taking Care of Business. We all dream of owning a cool business, and we envy, we envy those friends that made it and, uh, you know, turn their fun hobby or their talent to their job and or business, especially, especially if such business may not have much competition. Uh, you have to be creative, think out of the box, and most important, this business you own allows you to keep some of your kind of childish character, as we all possess, as you know, during your day-to-day work. Everything I said so far is based on my assumptions and evaluating my guest business without really knowing too much about his industry. Soon enough, we'll find out whether my assumptions were correct or I just made an ass out of of myself. (laughs) My guest today is Glenn Street, founder and top dog at Street Characters, Inc. Good morning, Glenn. Morning, David. Um, Welcome to Taking Care of Business, and thank you for being my guest uh, this morning, and are you ready to motivate our listeners? I'm really looking forward to this. This is going to be fun. (laughs) Yes. So before we go into, you know, ask you a little bit uh, about yourself, a little bit personal, uh, uh, you know, and business questions, and learn more about your business, about yourself, my assumptions, are they right or wrong? Was that well, <laughs> well, we'll let the audience decide, but we're going to have some fun today. Okay, okay. This is going to be, I think, a, a fun conversation for people. So the word, the, the name street characters doesn't disclose much about. So in a few sentences, can you tell about what the street characters do? Well, sure. So our mission is uh, we entertain the world by creating the absolute best mascots, period. So uh, we work with uh, a lot of teams and, and colleges, and uh, we create their mascots for them. That's the Coles Notes version, I guess. I see. Elevator Perfect. pitch. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so one question that, you know, when I was preparing for the show, I didn't, I didn't remember uh, whether you are a born Calgarian or uh, moved here. I am a native Calgarian, which you know is very unusual. Very rare. And I, Richard next week, who's coming to as your guest. Oh, my uh, guest, Richard Gorsuch, yeah, yes. Yes. Uh, well, Richard, I guess, isn't uh, native, but we grew up together. So, so, but it's very unusual to know people that uh, have lived all their lives here. Yeah. So, you know, um, since you mentioned that you lived here all your life, and, and I didn't remember before the show, and, and in your bio, which is the most the shortest bio I've ever seen in my life, uh, <laughs> you don't disclose much about yourself. You know, I want to go back. What do you remember from the 88 Olympics? The 88 Olympics? Well, actually, let me go back a little further than that, okay, David. Perfect. I mean, it's great that we're sitting in a real estate office. Uh, you and I have known each other a long time, but you probably didn't know that my first career was commercial real estate. Holy. And that was a long time ago. <laughs> and uh, what happened was I uh, was the assistant to one of the top producers in Calgary. And as you know, you, an assistant works for a year, then they put them out on their own to do sales. Right. And first of all, it was my MBA. I learned contracts. I learned negotiation. I learned how to sell. I learned marketing. It was a wonderful experience. But, but, but about a week after they turned me out on my own, um, a policy called the National Energy Policy came into Calgary and totally killed the economy overnight. People were selling their homes for a dollar and nobody was buying. It was that bad. We're talking 81, 82. 81, 82. 
and um, and so uh, so that whole experience, I, I think, had me looking around, understanding that uh, you know you you really have to watch what's going on, and and uh, then it kind of forced me to look and see uh, what else was going on. So in eighty seven, maybe a little bit before eighty four. I became a volunteer for the Calgary Stampede, and uh, I was running their mascot program. And uh, and as a result, you talk about the '88 Olympics. What happened was the Olympics came on, uh, and we didn't have the Olympic contract. They actually tried to break their contract and give it to us, and they found out they couldn't. But in '88, uh, there were uh, Stampede volunteers, and there were or Stampede staff and Olympic volunteers. And they didn't know what to do with me because I was a Stampede volunteer that they needed to give full access all around the Olympics for. But I had a wonderful time because I, uh, after the opening ceremonies, I was in the Olympic Village. And uh, and so the 88 Olympics were wonderful uh, and a great boost for the city. And as you know, created a, lo- a real legacy for the city. Um, that lives on today. Yeah. So, um, from my study, I wasn't here in '88, yeah. and um, and uh, from my study uh, in '88, Calgary was about 500 to 550 thousand people, and 25 years later, Calgary was breaking the million and almost doubled in 25 years. So, as someone who was looking or, or living through all this. How did you kind of cope or see the change, what, what, uh, you know, as, as a resident and as a business owner? So growing up in Calgary, Calgary, you ask any Canadian, uh, what is Canada's most entrepreneurial city? They'll all tell you Calgary. So that was a huge advantage for me. Most of my, my parents' friends had started their own businesses, and there's this real can-do attitude in Calgary. So you talk about the growth then. I mean, I can remember as a kid growing up, um, you know, the edge of town uh, where my parents built their first house is now considered inner city. <laughs> so the city has grown tremendously uh, over the years. Um, so, um, so you know, you're using a short time frame, but, but over the last 50, 60 years, it's, it's continually been growing. And they're still building houses today, maybe not at the rate that they were, but uh, you still see people... Uh, Putting homes up around here, uh, and and you know when when you grew up here, what were what were you kind of uh, busy with? Were you kind of a bookworm? Were you active in sports? Well, so in Calgary, you as as a as a kid and as a teenager, you really do one of two things: you either play hockey <laughs> or you take up skiing. And my family had a cabin out in the Canadian Rockies, a place called near Panorama. And so we, from the age of three, I've uh, skied. And uh, so we had a cabin on the lake, a uh, place called Lake, lake Windermere, beautiful place. And we'd uh, boat and water ski and all kinds of stuff in the summertime. And we'd snow ski in the winter. Did you competitively ski in the winter? I, I didn't competitively ski, but uh, I was a professional ski patrol for two or three years. And uh, so just had our, the gang of lake buddies that we would spend the whole time, summer and winter up there together. I see. College, university, did you? No, I, I tried uh, college twice and it didn't work for me. Oh, good. I'm not, I'm not yeah. the only one. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I tried for three days. Well, I lasted longer than you both times, <laughs> but not a lot. I see. So why did you leave? Um, well, you know, the, so the first 
the first time I did it, I had a scholarship to go. I had always done really well in school and I had to use the scholarship. So I thought, well, I'll go and I'll give it a try. And I just, um, you know, I, I just. Was it here or uh, did you leave? It was leave? UFC. It was oh, UFC. UFC. Yeah, you know. But I was living in residence and having lots of fun there. <laughs> and, uh, but it just, um, I, I just wasn't ready. So then I, I took a year and I went to Europe, which was a phenomenal experience for me. And when I came back, I worked for a few years and then decided, well, maybe I should give it a try now. And I just realized that it wasn't for me, that I could see far too many other opportunities out there. <laughs> and even today, I sometimes I think I should get my MBA. And then I think, no, nah, it probably poisoned my thinking. I better not do it. So <laughs> You don't like to think within the box. That's Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And, and um is there any, are there any other entrepreneurs in the family? Or you were the first one, the only one? Uh, well, my brother was, is very entrepreneurial as well. He was an oil and gas banker, but he was putting companies and deals together and things like that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Parents? But, uh, well, my, my father was a dentist, so mm-hmm. a little bit of an entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, but not really, no. So a dentist and his son didn't go to university. How well, did he my, take it? Well, um, they worried about me a lot, but uh, people always used to say, don't worry about Glenn. He's the one that's going to be the least, the one you have to worry about the least. And it turned out to be true. Now, my sister became a dentist, so, oh, know, so things worked out okay for them. That one of the kids turned out okay. But, uh, I see. So tell me, how did you get into the mascot thing? Because well, from, from what, and I don't know if it's right or wrong, but somewhere I read that you are the mascot. Yeah. So what happened was um, I was uh, I was running the mascot program for the Calgary Stampede, and um, and uh, I was actually wearing the costume. And I, I mean, I was going, I was traveling around mostly Calgary, but I went to England a few times and across Canada, Quebec, Carnival, places like that, uh, down into the states for parades and things. And um, I wound up going to. Um, to Grey Cup, the, the Canadian Football Championship, one uh, one year, and while I was there, I met the fellow who was doing the Calgary Stampeders football team uh, mascot, and we got talking. We hit it off. We became good friends, and uh, a little while later, he had um, he came to me. He had launched. He'd gone to the Calgary Flames of the National Hockey League, and pitched an idea to them, and they said yes. He'd gone and hired a seamstress and launched this character, and then he came and came to me and said, "Look, I'm going to need some backup on this. Will you will you help me?" And I said, "Sure." So I uh, started working with him, and and then we became business partners. And what what was happening is teams were coming to play the Flames, and I'd always get a phone call two three days later, and it was. Hey, that's a great idea. Can you make one for us? So that was Howie the Dog. Harvey the Dog. Harvey the Hound. Yes. Harvey the Hound. Yes. Yeah. And uh, what, what year was that? Uh, that was '84. Uh, and so, um, and people may remember Harvey because the Edmonton uh, coach, coach yeah. ripped his tongue out. Yeah, so yeah. that made a lot of uh, fun News, blooper yeah. reels. Yeah, yeah. So uh, if you haven't seen it, just uh, Google it. I'm sure it'll pop up. It's quite <laughs> funny to watch. Um, but uh, so anyway, we had teams calling us saying, um, hey, that's a great idea. Can you make one for us? And our response was always, ah, no, we're just doing this for fun. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a lark. 
Um, but we get to see the flames for free, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but the calls kept coming and coming, and we couldn't send people anywhere. There was nobody that really knew what they were doing. So let, let me get something in order here. Sure. So you you drop out of university or right. college, and when did you become a real estate ass- assistant, and when did you start well, being a Harvey the dog? Well, so the, the, real, the, the real estate assistant would have been kind of really late 70s, early oh, okay. 80s. Okay. And I did that till about 83, 84, 85, somewhere around there. My memory's not that great. Um, um, You're not so old, buddy. Then, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, and, you know, what was interesting, I, I know, you, uh, you know, people think about starting a business and, uh, you know, it wasn't easy in the early days. Yeah. And uh, we were, like most startups, uh, we were underfunded and things yeah. like that. And um, and I actually had my parents running interventions. Again, I, as I said, lots of, uh, lots of people in Calgary start their own businesses mm-hmm. and we know some very successful uh, families having grown up in Calgary and those people were calling me up and saying hey let's go for lunch and yeah. and they were running interventions saying I don't think you should be doing this yeah. <laughs> there's no business here when you looked at the oil and gas business yeah, yeah, yeah. but I just knew that something was there and that I needed to pursue it so um, basically it was uh, your partner at the time that you kind of uh, was yeah. he kind of a mentor as well or no no or you we used, were peers did you use a mentor to, to start your business I did I, I yes I have a mentor and we're still great friends today and uh, 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 Bill used to, uh, in the early days you say uh, you know Glenn I'm not sure about this idea and, and of course now he laughs and says well you know it's a good thing you didn't listen to me and I just say well Bill I, I did this just to spite you so <laughs> so, uh, so I, I've always had mentors I've always had peers uh, I'm a member of a phenomenal organization called the Entrepreneurs Organization which is a peer to peer organization and uh, even if you've got a business that you've got going and uh, they have a wonderful program called Accelerator. I've always believed in peers and mentors and, uh, and, and, and getting uh, help from others. Right. And, uh, you know, even in the 90s, the University of Calgary had a program for entrepreneurs, which I did. And I still maintain contact with many from that class today. Now, you, you are in a unique industry. Uh, and I don't think there are many uh, mascot companies in Calgary or in Alberta or in Canada. In North America. Or, or in North America. Yeah. So uh, the mentor you used, he came from another industry, completely another industry. Sure. Right? Yeah. Uh, how did it help you? Well, so, I mean, the first thing is there was nobody, we were pioneers of this industry. So there weren't mentors in our industry. So, you know, um, he would help because... Um, I'm in, in, in EO, I'm in, in what's called a forum group, which is like a peer board of advisors. None of us are in the same business, but a lot of the same issues come up around the table. Different people have them at different times. So I don't think it's important with a mentor to necessarily have somebody that knows the industry experience. In fact, that could be a negative for you because they're going to be set in their ways of, well, you do things this way. So, you know, imagine Herb Kelleher starting Southwest and having somebody from United Airlines telling him how to start an airline. Yeah. It would have totally messed up the whole, the whole plan and it would have never, they would have never been the success. So I think sometimes you have to be careful if you're seeking somebody within the industry, you have to have your own vision, your own understanding of what you want to do. 
And most game changers aren't somebody from within that industry. They come from outside because they see a different opportunity. So, um, you know, our, my show is all about taking care of business, um, you know, and as, as you heard when they had the, the, the beginning, you're like motivating people. Sure. So if you had to mentor today someone that wants to start a business, and again, it doesn't matter in which uh, industry, wh- what do you recommend in terms of uh, either EO uh, uh, or, or tech or, or McKay or having a mentor, having a business coach? Sure. Where do you see... Because sometimes we kind of say, oh, it costs money. I can't do it, right, to start? Well, well and, and it doesn't have to cost money. And I think that that's one of the big uh, misnomers. And here, here's a great story about that. I went out with a friend of mine who said, you know, I want to create these cooking classes. And I want to, you know, um, I want to go out and I want to teach people how to cook and because he loved to cook. And he said, but I don't know how I'm going to get all the money to build the kitchen and all these things. And I sat down with him. I said, Peter, let's think about this for a minute. First of all, it's it's an idea you have. It's not a concept. Um, there are lots of restaurants in the city. I'm sure you could go to one and say, look, I'd like to rent your kitchen one evening and do cooking classes in it, you know, and get a bunch of people to sign up and, and do a couple of tests and see how it goes. You're not spending a lot of money to do that, to learn whether or not the concept you want to do is right. And what you'll probably find is that you'll never need to build that kitchen. There'll always be resources out there that you'll be able to cobble together to make it work. So I think what true entrepreneurs do is they create something out of nothing. And it always drives me crazy when I you know, look at governments or people with, with big budgets that think that, well, if I just spell, spend more money, mm-hmm. I'm going to get a better product. That's not always the, the case. The true entrepreneur has looks at the problem, tries to solve it, has the vision, and then tries to figure out how to get, get there. And uh, so I think that those are the, the critical things. Let's go back to the beginning of sure. uh, Street Character. I like the yeah. name. Thank you. <laughs> um, you said that it started with Harvey the Hound. It all started with, uh, with, Harvey, well, the with Harvey. Well, and the Stampede's uh, character was a horse, so we were really a dog and pony show. Oh. So. <laughs> and uh, then people started kind of calling you. Yes. So the business was forced on you? Well, yeah. Yeah, because uh, we were doing it for fun. Yeah. Um, and when did you make a decision? Okay, let's do the business. Uh, well, eighty-seven. So three years later, we opened our doors. And because I'd been in real estate again, you don't have to spend a lot of money. Um, the company I worked for had a building, uh, and I was in charge of leasing up that building. And there was a, a piece of space in the basement that had always been vacant. They'd never been able to find anybody. So. I was able to go to my replacement and say, look, I want to rent this. And the landlord was happy to have somebody in there. Yeah. And I suppose we could have done it out of, out of a garage or something to get things started. <laughs> you know, it was good enough for uh, Steve Jobs and Wozniak <laughs> to do that. So, um, um, so yeah, so, so we were not forced into it, but we were getting so many calls that we finally realized that there was something there. And uh, so that's why we started up and we started building them for others. Um, but I never said, you know, you said I'm a niche, we're a niche business. We're actually a niche business in a niche industry because we're not even trying to 
to supply the entire industry. We figured out where our strengths are. And so, um, so from our standpoint, uh, you know, we've, we've always kind of played to that, to that niche side of it. And we were pushed into it mm-hmm. because nobody was doing it. There was a vacuum. And, and today, is there growing competition in that arena? You know, what's interesting is we, we are like the t-shirt silk screening industry. So there's a handful of, uh, there are people that are doing it out of their uh, garages or their basements. And they're actually dangerous because mm-hmm. they don't know what they're doing. And they don't have insurance and workers' compensation and all the protections they need as well. And then there's a handful of worthy competitors. And uh, there's enough business for all of us that uh, um, that we're not we're not tripping over each other. And and what I find with most of our customers is what they want to know is, hey, can you do the job for me? Yeah. Because if you can do the job, that's what's most important. Price mm-hmm. isn't our number one uh, motivating factor. And and in fact, and this is another lesson for your listeners, um, we have never competed on price. And when we get an RFP to do uh, uh, to do a competitive bid, we always phone up and say, "Is price the number one determining factor?" And if they say yes, we say, "Well, we're out." And they'll say, "Well, why?" And we'll say, "Well, we know we'll never be the cheapest, but if you ex- let us explain why we won't be the cheapest, you'll hire us." And the t- and the ones that do let us walk have that conversation come to understand that, uh, you know, using uh, uh, inexpensive materials that don't last and, you know, we're using new technology, you know, dry wick fabrics, for example, which aren't cheap, Mm -hmm. but it makes for a much better, a much better costume for the performer, much more user-friendly, much more durable. So, um, so when we go through that process, we really understand where we are in our market and we focus on that. Now, uh, when you get hired or when you pitch for business, um, who comes up with the idea of the character? Because I, I know there are some, you know, some teams that it's easy because you have you have a bird on their shirt. You know, they are yeah. going to be the canaries or whatever. Yeah. But with some teams, like, how do you get to Harvey the Hound? Because the Calgary Flames doesn't have anything to do with a dog. <laughs> well, that's that's kind of a unique story. But but what we do with with most uh, organizations now, a lot of times they'll know. But let's say a, a team comes forward, and let's say their name is the Sharks. Well, it's pretty obvious what that character is going to be. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it's not that obvious, and so then we take them through a process and. And so, first of all, we start to we try to understand: is there something that's unique in your area that um, that you're known for? So, a great example is in the, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders is a prairie area. They have lots of gophers or prairie dogs, and so their character is a gopher. Everybody looks at it and goes, "Oh, that's Saskatchewan, right?" <laughs> uh, and then, if there isn't sort of any obvious tie-in to uh, to the area. Then we try to do something that's going to be fun and and uh, endear itself to the team and mm-hmm. in their crowd. I see, and and they listen to your advice. Well, you know, they don't always listen. So one <laughs> of the big challenges we have is a lot of teams these days want to have this aggressive "don't mess with us" yeah. look to them. <laughs> and what we try to get <clears throat> what we try to get them to understand is, look, you want your uh, 
you want your team to have that image, but you don't want your character to have that image because he's the host in your building. He, you want him to endear himself to the fans so the fans like and respond to him in a positive way. Yeah. Um, so w- which is the weirdest character you created? Street, wow. street characters created. Well, I, you know, I, I'm a great believer in core values. And you were asking me earlier about, you know, if I was starting a company, how would I do it today? And the thing I always look at, I've started a few others, but um, is I start with the look and feel of the company. So the mission of the company and the core values of that organization. And um, we had a, a medical device com- company come to us one time. And uh, it was a device for erectile dysfunction. And they were going to a trade show and um, they wanted us to make a... The Eiffel a, Tower. The Eiffel <laughs> Tower. That's right. Absolutely. That's a good way to put it. I tried to figure out how to get around this. And, um, and I looked at it and, you know, I have a shop full of women and I, I went to them and I said, you know, we just, we can't, we can't do this. I said, I have a shop full of women. They may not be comfortable working right. on this project. It's not a commentary on what you do, because I think what you do is very important, but it doesn't fit with the, the values that we right. have in our, our organization of, uh, of a safe, comfortable workplace, respectful workplace. So, uh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> So you, you didn't, didn't know you, the answer was coming. You, you, you didn't help them, eh? <laughs> you didn't help them with their no. dysfunction. No, no. <laughs> I see. So, Glenn, uh, you know, we have to have a short break for commercial. You know, sure. after all, we, uh, radio runs on commercials as well. Uh, you can check www.mascots.com. Go to the gallery page and enjoy it. Uh, there are some really, really cool pictures there. I was surfing through it and, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, and we will meet you here on the other side of the commercials. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit VoiceAmerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, 
self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. are tuned into Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to dvwallach at gmail.com. That's D-I-V-I Wallach at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. And we're back uh, with my guest, Glenn Street, uh, founder and top dog at Street Characters, Inc. So, um, you know, Glenn, one of the things that we discussed uh, at the beginning of the show, and I want to kind of put a little bit more emphasis on about it, is how important is it for an entrepreneur to be involved in a community in terms of volunteering? Because after all, we are the CEO, the CFO, the marketing, and, and time is you know of the essence and you have so many hours a day. How important was it for you to be involved in all this volunteering and how important if you are a mentor today for you to explain to a new business owner is it to be involved with the community and volunteering? Well, first of all, I would have never fallen into this had I not been Oh, that's true. <laughs> and, and I would have never met my wife, who worked for the Calgary Flames. Wow. So my my life would have gone in a very different direction if I, if I had not volunteered for the Stampede. Um, you know, you said, why is it important for business people to volunteer? I think it's important for anybody to volunteer. And I think the best story I can tell you is there's a... Uh, a highly revered individual here in Calgary named Jim Gray. And Jim is, how old would Jim be? In his 80s, maybe 90? Fascinating man. He built a very big company called Canadian Hunter. And Jim used to say when he ran Canadian Hunter, if I'm looking at a resume and I see that somebody's volunteered somewhere, I'm going to hire that individual over somebody else. And he said the reason being is that when you volunteer, volunteering is a great equalizer. So you could have, um, you know, somebody who um, is, say, a plumber and David Wallach there, you know, successful businessman. But I know that at some point that, that plumber has to take on a responsibility and he has to figure out how to lead David to get that responsibility done. So there's a lot there's a lot of great leadership training that you learn when you're volunteering because you just get assigned tasks and you have to figure out how to go and do it. And the great thing about volunteering is that usually people volunteer around their passions. Mm-hmm. And so that's a great way to learn those leadership skills. Uh, it's a great way to get connected into the community um, and uh, and and really learn those skills so that uh, that you can grow. And then. My own experience is I got recruited to join the board of directors of the Stampede. And if you don't know anything about the Calgary Stampede, I encourage you to Google it. Here's my favorite stat about the Calgary Stampede. More Budweiser beer is consumed at the Calgary Stampede than any other event on the planet. So that'll tell you that the Stampede's a lot of fun, right, Dave? <laughs> so is it consumed by the Stampede board? <laughs> no, it's consumed by all Calgarians and visitors. So, but, but the point is that um, I got recruited onto the board. Um, 
Stampede owns about uh, 200 acres in downtown Cal- in downtown Calgary, a casino. They had a racetrack when I started, a uh, convention space, and they run this 10-day world-class festival. Saddle Dome. The Saddle Dome. And, and, uh, and when I, just as I came on the board, we were rolling out a new master plan. And during my, which was a $750 million plan at that time, and this is 15 years ago. Uh, and while I was there, we probably spent $300 million, $350 million getting that plan rolling. Well, I can tell you that was a wonderful education. And as a businessman, I, and the reason I joined is I wanted to see how a very large organization with very diverse business interests ran itself. And as a businessman, I really learned some great practices of how big companies uh, run, and I've applied those to my business. You know, when I was uh, still living in Israel, I volunteered uh, in, in sports, in professional sports, uh, running a, a, a team and um, I remember the chairman of the club one day I got mad and I said hey I'm a volunteer and he says to me and that stuck with me for the rest of my life he said your volunteering ended when you volunteer now you have to do that because you committed to it well well, and what we found with the stampede is that we never had to take that hard tone because people are so passionate about, <laughs> about stampede and what it does for the city and um, how it the whole dynamic of the city changes. Calgary is a very friendly city, but during Stampede, everybody's in it together, and just yeah. having a lot of fun together. Let's go back to business. And and uh, I asked you before the commercials about um, the ideas. Who br- who kind of brings the ideas, uh, and how you get an idea of uh, the mascot with with your client. How important or how much work you put before you meet the client to know the client? And, and how much is it, how important is it before anyone goes to a new client to try and learn more about the client or to understand the client? Well, so, you know, a lot of times the, the new clients are contacting us. We're pioneers of the industry. We have mascots.com is a website. Um, we're running, a, we run an event called Mascot U, which is a, uh, a conference on mascots. Um, so we are uh, well known. We have one eight hundred mascots as our phone number. So we are well known in the industry. Um, uh, so typically, what happens is most of the people that we are talking to know that we exist and come to us, and that's a great position for us to be in, mm-hmm. and a very enviable position. Um, once we know that there's an interest, then we really start the dialogue and try to understand what it is they're trying to accomplish. Um, and and we try to work with them to educate them a little bit. Um, you know, there are three keys to making a character work. You have to have the right costume. You have to have the right, uh, the, the right individual inside. And the organization needs to be committed. And so we need to educate a lot, the, orga- the organization to understand what they're getting into and that if you're a major league team, if you do this right, it actually will become a profit center for you. So that's when we start to really learn about the client and what understand what they're trying to accomplish. And sometimes they're going off in a direction that we don't think will work for them. And we will say, you know, we'll do whatever you want, but people come to us for our expertise. Here's what we see. Uh, and sometimes they listen to us and sometimes they don't, and, and that's okay. 
Are you involved in choosing who is going to be in the mascot uh, as Not an organization? Well, you know what's interesting, again, when we started, we were doing a lot of that because when we were doing Harvey, um, there weren't any, there wasn't anybody else around, right? right? There was the Philly Fanatic and 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 one or two other characters, but there wasn't a lot. Um, at the pro level, the the performers have changed, and they're more like the players now. So, typically, the guy will start in high school and be the high school mascot. Then he'll get a scholarship to a college, and be the mascot at, for the college, and then. Uh, go work for a farm team, and then a major league team will come along and say, hey, we want to hire you. So it's changed uh, over the years. It's evolved from there being nobody to this being being this formal system. Well, when I look at some of them, I go, man, the athleticism they show is unbelievable. Well, uh, Harvey, we used to lose eight pounds a game because if you think about it, we had this full fur coat on with our heads fully enclosed, and we were running up and down stairs for three hours at a time. Holy, maybe I should do it as, it's good, it's good as uh, losing a uh, Well, it's weight. all water though, you, you get it back. So, <laughs> so immediately after you yeah, lose that's beer, right. beer and wings. That's right, the beer, yeah. Uh, I see, uh, you, you also mentioned earlier before we broke into commercial, the word uh, core values. See, I believe, I'm a firm believer in core values. So when you started your business uh, with your partner, are you still partners? Or no, no, you, I you, bought him okay. in 89, so. So when you have your business, when you started, and or when you started growing, do you have a mission, vision, purpose, core values that you kind of created for the company? Well, so that's a that's a really interesting story. So um, if I hadn't joined EO, I probably wouldn't be in business today. And they had a global conference in uh, Montreal. Wait, how come? Well, they had a global conference in in uh, Montreal, and. Two of the speakers there were a fellow named Brian Scudamore and Cam Harold. Brian is the founder of 1-800-GOT-JUNK, and mm-hmm. Cam was his COO. And what they told me, I, they didn't tell me anything I didn't already know. They laid it out in a way that I could apply to my business. And a lot of it was focused around having a clear vision, clear mission, clear core values. And uh, so now, whenever I start something new, the first thing I look at is, what is the look and feel going to be of this organization? What does it stand for? To me, the core values are the DNA of the organization. Mm -hmm. They're the rules of how we conduct ourselves, and you better not violate them. And if you do, it's at the risk of uh, execution. And, uh, And it has worked very well for us. And what we found, now that we do this, is that people, when they see our core values, they go... I want to be part of an organization like that because that's what I believe in. So I think it just helps to keep everybody focused and in line and understanding what acceptable behavior is of what acceptable behavior isn't. Uh, But it's also important that you live those core values. And I'll give you a great example. I had a couple of team members who were uh, um, bullying another team member. And they were very valuable to the organization. And I sat them down and I said, one of our core values is respect. You will conduct yourself in a respectful manner. If you continue to do this, you will no longer work here. And I think they thought, oh, you know, that's that's all talk. He can't live without us. They didn't change. And I walked in one morning and I said, you're done as of today. And what that did is that strengthened my 
leadership amongst the rest of my team because they saw that I was uh, walking the talk. Right. And, and I, I, it's a great example. You know, I, I can't I take my hat off for that. Because a lot of people, you know, I interview a lot of people. It's my second, almost uh, done second year. And what I see in many organizations, there are nice core values on the wall, mission, vision, purpose. But when I ask, how do the employees, how do you take it from the wall to the office? Right. I get we have one of the things, again, I learned from from Cam and Brian was we do a thing called a a daily huddle. Okay. So every morning at 936. My team gets together, we all get together, and we talk about basically what's going on for that day. Uh, it also allows me to have an announce, give any announcements, and basically it's to let the left hand know what the right hand is doing. Yeah. And um, uh, the first thing we start off with is our mission. We entertain the world by creating the absolute best mascots, period. And then we have a core value for the day. So we read that core value. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, uh, so we're constantly reinforcing and, you know, if I catch somebody doing something that relates to the core values, I will give them, uh, you know, a gift card to somewhere or something like that to reinforce to the team that this is the behavior we expect. Mm, I see. Um, you know, uh, I have a question that I try to kind of ask every, uh, people, every person I interview. If you, today we're at 2019, if you kind of walk with me towards the future in 10 years where do you see street characters well i you know i'm i'm getting i'm an old dog now <laughs> uh, so I, I really think that uh, um, you know i'm getting ready to um, um, look at other opportunities um, and i have a wonderful team now one of the things i've been able to do is create a very self-starting team and so the organization because I traveled a lot in the early years the organization has always had this uh, uh, it's been built into the organization that it problem solves on its own and uh, so I have an amazing team and uh, they're running the, the business day to day I'm still there every day um, but the things I'm doing now are to move the organization forward. So, for example, the last 18 months, I've been focused on moving all of our systems onto the, onto the cloud. Accounting, uh, our uh, customer relationship management, our marketing system, right. uh, everything. Um, so I think I've put it in a position where f- I think from day one, it hasn't really needed me to be there to run it. So I've told my team, I'm look, I I think I've got one more good business left in me, <laughs> and um, and uh, I want to be able to back off more, and have you run it. And uh, I think they're they're probably there if I wanted to step down. What, what's the next business idea? Well, I uh, you know. The problem with entrepreneurs is we see <laughs> opportunity everywhere. And in fact, a lot of my EO friends, and I've been very careful, uh, but because a lot of my EO friends, they get the one thing going really well. And of course, we have short attention spans <laughs> and they try to go off and, fi- and start something else. I'm sure my and, wife is laughing now. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, uh, and so what happens is they focus on the new one 
And then things start to go sideways in the existing one that's making them all their money. And the cards start to fall on it and they're trying to get the new one going. And suddenly they've got these two uh, mistresses de- demanding their time and they don't have enough time for both and the whole card <laughs> house of cards falls. So, so I've been very careful to make sure that my team is going to be okay without me there. And, uh, and I, I'm, I'm pretty sure we're there. I see. You, you mentioned earlier <clears throat> that um, you have street uh, characters, a niche founder niche in a niche industry. Yes. Why not take the whole industry? Why not conquer the whole thing if you well, are the best? Well, you know, I, I, and, and I think this is a great lesson, for, particularly when you're starting out. And uh, I heard a speaker not too long ago who is, who, is, uh, who is helping organizations sort of determine their, their story. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was, he had been working with somebody who was a financial planner. And, you know, financial planners, most of them will take anybody who walks in the door. And, you know, he, this, he said, I helped this one financial planner who said, um, I only work with, uh, uh, and, I, and I'm going to get this wrong, but right. I, only, I only work with clients who have um, a special need in wealth or something. And, if, and of course, just by saying it that way, people are going to say, well, what is that special need? And he had p- picked a per- particular segment of the market and was just focusing on that. And so rather than trying to be like a department store and all things to all people, he became the specialist in that area and was hugely successful because everybody was coming to him. Um, we could take the whole thing, but, but the, the problem is everybody else is going after the corporate market, which is uh, lower margin and very competitive. Um, um, but what we found is we have a lot of really great corporate clients. Um, we have some clients we've done 150 characters for, but they've come to us for the right reasons that they want to have the absolute best character they can. And they understand that over time, it's actually going to cost them less money because this thing is going to last. So because we're able to tell the story that way, um, we really attract the people who really want to mm-hmm. who really want to work with us. So I think too many people get when they're especially starting up, they're they're too afraid to be too narrow because they don't think that the market's there. But if you think about it, there are lots of organizations that really hone in on their specialty, and they they're laser focused on that, and that allows them to be really strong in that area. And then you can kind of build it out from there. But if you're trying to be all things to all people, you're just like everybody else. I see. Um, you know, you uh, being a, in a peer group, EO, yeah. and being running your business for many, many years, what are the challenges as an entrepreneur you see today in front of you and in front of peers that, you know, in those, gr- in those groups that you're involved with? Well, uh, you know, uh, I, I think probably the main thing is that things are always changing. Right? The only thing constant is change. And you've always got to be looking at your market and what's happening around your market. And you've always got to be uh, trying to figure out where things are going to. So, you know, things I'm thinking about now are, 
our uh, 3D printing and, uh, you know, the new technologies are coming along and, uh, you know, are we going to be relevant in 15 or 20 years? Uh, because a lot of uh, businesses, uh, uh, you know, if you owned a taxi business 15 years ago, it was an amazing business to have. Not so much today. So what are the threats out there as well? So I, I think that it's uh, where I see people, people get in trouble mm-hmm. is they get too cocky. Mm-hmm. They think, well, I was, I did it. I know how to do it. Now I'm successful. And that's usually when life hands them a really good lesson, mm-hmm. right? And we've all seen it. How do you mitigate your risk? How do I mitigate my risk? Um, you know, I, I, I don't think that we take any real big swings. I don't think that we have to. I think that uh, um, we, we really try to take care of the clients we have. We have, I don't know if you know of net promoter scores, but we have a net promoter score of 87 which is better than Apple's uh, customer satisfaction rating. Mm-hmm. So we work really hard to take really good care of our clients. And when our clients come to our shop, they can see uh, our number one core value is be the customer. And all that means is I don't care about dollars. I want you to treat our customer the way that you would want to be treated. So, you're a customer, yeah. you know, we've all been upset because we wanted somebody to do something that was reasonable and they wouldn't do it because of cost. We don't care about that. And it's worked very well for us. So, um, so I think a good entrepreneur is always a little bit paranoid and not, uh, and not cocky. So let's go back to the mentoring piece. Sure. And now you are the mentor. Yes. And I'm, I want to start my own business. Yes. My new business. Yeah. What are the do's, the one or two major do's you recommended I'll do in order to kind of, you know, we all say that the first year is the most crucial year for a new right. business. What are you, from your experience, the do's that you recommend any new business owner take? Well, I, I, think, I think the number one is, uh, you know, make sure that you're solving a problem. Uh, and make sure that it's a problem that needs to be solved. Uh, you know, I think lots of people have this great idea and think that they're going to go out and everybody's going to love it. And that's not always the case. Um, so make sure that what you want to do is needed. And, and, uh, and then put together a reasonable business plan. Uh, understand where you're going to stake your territory, how you're going to be different, and why people should hire you over somebody else. I'm sure in your business, if I was to have that conversation, you'd be able to tell me four or five reasons why I should hire your company over your competitors. Right. And, uh, and, a, and a great rule of thumb is uh, when you do your business plan, you know, half your revenue and double your expenses. Uh, and you're probably going to be more closer to, to, to reality. Uh, make sure you have enough capital because uh, uh, we were hopelessly undercapitalized when we started. I think we started with uh, maybe $5,000. So it was a real struggle the first few years. Uh, I wasn't taking a, a salary. Uh, uh, you know, so it, it was really pushing a ball up the hill. 
That's a very interesting comment that you yeah. said you weren't taking a salary because I read, I can't remember which book it was, the first thing you do as, a, as an entrepreneur, you don't take a salary and the first thing you should do is take a salary from day one. Well, you should, but, but you know, the reality is, is the cash flow steps in and we weren't capitalized properly that we can do that. And, uh, and so it's really important to, to have, have the, the, the cash. Uh, the other thing is I think it's really important to test your idea. So don't, uh, don't swing for the fences and, and go all out. I told the story about my friend wanting to do the cooking school. Right. There's probably a way you can do it and test it very inexpensively to see whether or not there really is an interest mm-hmm. there. And so try to figure that out um, uh, and do it that way. Glenn, we're less than four minutes to the end of wow. the show. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> uh, how do you measure your success? So I measure success in that, uh, um, first of all, for me, this, had I wanted to make a lot of money in Calgary, I wouldn't be doing this because <laughs> I would have started an oil and gas company or bought an oil service company, whatever. Um, but success for me has always been um, to have the freedom to go where I want and do what I want whenever I want. And I've really created this great little business where, I mean, theoretically, I could go anywhere and it, it could be for business. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could go to Super Bowl. I could, you know, I can do all of these different things. So what it's done for me is it's, it's been fun. It's oh, been a lot of fun. just a second. Can you take a friend to the Super Bowl? I can't. Well, maybe. You never know. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> uh, but uh, um, so so from my uh, so from my standpoint, um, for me, this has given me lots of flexibility. My wife and I travel a lot. We don't have kids, mm-hmm. and uh, we've had uh, some amazing experiences. Uh, and my business gives me the freedom to do that, and so it's given me, for me, what's been an amazing life. A few short questions to yes. the end. Yeah, what keeps you awake at night? What keeps me awake at night uh, these days is government doing stupid things, <laughs> you know, because that's uh, another show because, well, politicians don't understand that it, that uh, the only way you can have a vibrant economy is to have vibrant business. And they seem to think it's the goose that lays the golden egg. And, you know, I will say that, uh, you know, anybody who wants to run a business because they think they're going to have more time. Um, you know, you really only have to work a half a day uh, when you run your own business. And it doesn't matter if it's the first 12 hours <laughs> or the last 12 hours. Um, so, uh, so government not understanding. I mean, I tell politicians, because 85% of what we do is export, all we really do is import money. Mm-hmm. And the economic impact of my very little niche company is in excess of $150 million over the life of this company. And they need to understand that. A book that you recommend? Well, uh, I uh, I have lots of books that I love. Uh, uh, you know, depending on where you are in your business, uh, uh, Good to Great is a wonderful book to read. And that talks about the hedgehog principle, which is finding your niche so that, you, yeah. so that you're really strong there. Uh, I love listening to Seth Godin and, uh, and reading his stuff. Uh, I'm just trying to think of the books. I read a lot. Um, uh, One book that 
jumps to your mind because we're less than a minute. Well, good to great. Good to great. So if I gave you an opportunity to meet two people dead or alive for lunch, who would you uh, invite? Well, you know, I got to meet one of those people. I, through EO, got to spend a week with Richard Branson on his island, which was a dream come true for me. Um, uh, probably uh, Steve Jobs, if he's still alive, would love to uh, have met uh, him as well. Well, Glenn, we reached the end of today's uh, show of taking care of business. Thank you, uh, Glenn Street, founder and top dog at uh, Street Characters, Inc., for being my guest this morning, sharing with us your unique business and journey to success and professional recognition by all major sports in North America. Uh, thank you all for tuning in. Uh, your feedback is important. Please email me at dvwallach at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, like us on Facebook, and connect with me on LinkedIn. Thank you, Aaron, again, my dedicated engineer, the guy who is uh, waking, stays uh, awake at night after scary movies, and for Sasha, uh, my executive uh, assistant uh, producer. Next Tuesday, April 2nd, I'm going to host uh, one of Glenn's friends, Mr. Richard Gottfried, that is running to uh, re be re-elected as member of Legislative, Legislative Assembly of Alberta, and we will discuss politics. I'll meet you here on April 2nd, 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific, your, uh, your host, David Wallach. Thank you for listening to Taking Care of Business. Please join David Wallach again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until we talk again, make your week as great as you want it.